0: Welcome to the Juicebox Podcast. This is episode 12. Let's play the music and get started. I think this is going to be another episode where I should remind you that I am not a healthcare professional and do not pretend to be one. I am simply the father of a child who has type 1 diabetes, who hopes that through his experiences, yours get a little easier? Nothing you read on ardensday.com or here on the Juicebox podcast constitutes advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult with a healthcare professional before making changes to a healthcare plan. This and more disclaimer is available at the bottom of ardensday.com and juiceboxpodcast.com. I urge you strongly to read it and strongly to really, really believe what I'm telling you, which this is not advice. All right. Let's chit-chat about diabetes, shall we? Today I'm going to cover three topics. Um, Endo Day. The other day was Arden's endocrinologist appointment, her quarterly appointment. I'm going to talk about how we spent the entire weekend at a softball tournament where Arden played six softball games in the course of two days and uh, some of the things that went right and some of the things that went wrong there. And the last thing I want to cover today is Facebook. Uh, A lot of people... um, with diabetes, find private Facebook groups and they chit chat. And sometimes I hear people talk about things and I think, oh, I have an answer for that. Or I think, oh, I wish I could say this, but I don't know how I would say it in writing without anybody getting angry at me. So I'm going to give some links to stuff that would answer questions that I see posted a lot. And I'm going to talk about something that I, uh, I think maybe people might disagree with me about, but we'll find out. But let's start with endo day. So Arden's endocrinologist appointment was Monday, and uh, we got there, and I thought, this is probably going to be the time. Because Arden's A1C has been steadily and slowly decreasing since we got the mixture right between uh, having a Dexcom CGM, having an insulin pump, making good food choices, and mostly texting about her diabetes while she was at school. You know what, I shouldn't have said mostly. um, You know, I've talked about this before, but in 10 seconds, I think the biggest reductions came in Arden's A1C when we kept contact throughout the day while she was at school instead of going to the nurse's office. And when I decided to, decided, it's a crazy word, but when I eventually got comfortable with very in-range blood sugars overnight. And by that, I mean like 80, 90, 100, like lower lower overnight blood sugars. Those things uh, made a real impact on Arden's A1c. And we saw it drop over the course of a year and a half, you know, from the sevens to the sixes to finally 5.9. But we went back this time, 5.9 was our last A1c. And I was pretty certain there was going to be an increase because Arden has definitely been growing this last quarter. As a matter of fact, we have a you know, little door jam where we marked the kid's height and I marked Arden one day. And then a week later, actually it was eight days later, I looked at her and thought, wow, she looks taller again. And I stuck her back on and marked her again. And she'd grown, she had grown three quarters of an inch in eight days. So I obviously, by luck or happenstance caught the actual growth spurt, but it gave me, um, it it made me feel better about some of those overnight blood sugars that I was seeing that were so high and that I'd been fighting with the last couple of months and also kind of got me ready in my head that I thought her A1C was going to increase, which it did, but not too much. So we went to the endo, and my wife went with us. She doesn't usually get to come, but she had the day off from work. And and we rolled up and, and did the blood test. And, you know, I, I think in the past I, I used to sit in that room and just think, like, when are they going to come in with a result? Like, what's it going to be? And And now I feel just so much more comfortable that when the nurse practitioner came in the room and said 6.1%, I almost didn't know what she was talking about for a split second. And then it hit me. Oh, that's her A1C. You're talking about her A1C, 6.1. And she was all excited, 6.1, you know, 6.1, 5.9, no, no real increase there. And uh, I was really happy with it too. But it's a far cry from previous endocrinology appointments where I've, you know, cried and hugged the endocrinologist, <laughs> yeah, cried and hugged the nurse practitioner over the littlest and crazy things, you know one time i actually got arden's a1c to move after what felt like a year of just being stagnant not being able to get to go anywhere and it didn't drop much it was just a few like tenths of a point but just the the movement in any way was just such a relief that i remember standing in the uh, in the lobby crying with the, the nurse practitioner giving me a hug but i know most people you know have this kind of anxiety about that day about going to the endocrinologist. And I mean, I understand that it used to hit me like that too, you know, on your way to the doctor's office, thinking you're going to get bad news or, you know, your report card's not going to come back, right. All those silly things. But I really do just want to encourage you not to think about it that way, if you can, or work towards not thinking about it that way, because in the end, you know, I'm not in control of whether or not Arden has a growth spurt over the last couple of weeks or months um, I'm just kind of in control of how I react to it. And I think that, uh, we did a pretty good job. We reacted well, had a little less sleep over the last couple of weeks than I did the month before, but you know, it ended up being okay. There was a lot of bolusing overnight that, that, uh, you know, fighting with high blood sugars and spikes and things like that, but it ended up being really worthwhile. You know, 6.1 is still a, I think, a fantastic A1C for a a 10-year-old girl to have. So we were really happy with it. And I hope your endo appointments are are going well, too. Anyway, that's it for Endo Day. Uh, Except to say that it's very cool when you tweet out that, you know, it's Endo Day or you put it on Facebook how much support you hear back from the community and people are like, oh, good luck, you know, I'll be be thinking of you and all that. And I really appreciate that. And if you're doing that for other people, it's such a great, um, you know, it's such a great aspect of the diabetes online community and what it can help people with and offer back to you know virtual strangers it's just a little support and someone you know just giving you even if it's just a like on facebook you thinking, wow somebody's somebody understands what's happening to me today and, and they got my back it's a it's a great thing if you take the time to do that for somebody cheers to you okay so last weekend Arden played in a softball tournament, and it was a bit of a distance from our house, so we had to travel to it and spend the night. So there are a lot of aspects then to come into play. First of all, you're packing you know, supplies and diabetes stuff, and that, that's not too bad. You're going to stay at a hotel, and that hotel is inevitably going to have a pool, and it did. So now there's a pool... And they want to go swimming and now they're swimming and softball and erratic sleep patterns and, you know, off times of eating meals and sneaking food in between games and things like that. Really has the opportunity to throw a monkey wrench into the whole diabetes thing. But I'm pretty happy to say that I thought most of it went really well. Arden's blood sugars were manageable. They were um, not roller coastery but they took a lot more effort and a lot more oversight. And that oversight was made much simpler by the Dexcom share. I have to absolutely admit that, again, I did not find myself bothering Arden while she was on the field. I was able to look at my cell phone and make adjustments. Now, I think there's a. I think that you should think of things not as going right and going wrong in these situations, right? Like, it's not like if her blood sugar gets low during the game, something went wrong. Um, I think it's more about how you, it's your expectation, right? Like I think it's kind of hopeful and you should be shooting for it, obviously for there to be no ups and downs, but it's unreasonable to think that you're going to go an entire day, three softball games in a nine hour period without there being some sort of a low that needs to be taken care of or a high that needs to be taken care of. And I think that considering those moments as, mistakes or problems or something going wrong, I think that's the mistake. I think you just need to see it as something that you always knew was going to happen and that you were ready to take care of. So instead of planning to panic or planning to be dramatic, you should just plan for what to do when something does go a bit askew. Instead of instead of raising your hands and being like, I can't believe this happened. Just believe it happened, expect that it's going to happen, and then go take care of it. And I have a Pretty great example. So it's the second day of the tournament. I think in the middle of the second game. So Arden's played four games. And she's in the middle of her fifth game. She swam Friday night and swam Saturday night in a hotel pool, which I'm assuming had 900 pounds of chlorine in it. And in the middle of an inning, Arden just kind of comes jogging across the baseball diamond over to where Kelly and I are sitting. And she's got her Omnipod in her hand. And she goes, my pod fell off. And she hands it to me and runs back to the dugout. She was just as cool as could be about it. There was no like hand wringing or like, oh my God, look what happened. She just, my pod fell off, handed me the pod, ran back to do what she was gonna do. I turned to my wife and I said, we have supplies with us, yes. And she said, yes. And we went to a cooler. I took out an Omnipod. I took out insulin and filled the pod, uh, primed the pod, well, first I shut down the old pod while it was in my hand. I primed the new pod, got it all set for her, went over, sat on the very edge of the bench. She was out on the field. Um, the inning ended. She came in off the field. I said, hey, come here, sit down. I apologize. I said, because I'm going to have to wipe off your abdomen with, um, with you know, water from a bottle of water uh, to clean you up as best I can. It's going to be cold. And she was like, ooh, like really like jumped back from the cold water. And she's smiling and I'm laughing. And, you know, we let her, her belly air dried. She stuck the new pod on. We inserted it. And right back to the game, that was it. You know, if I'm telling you that this entire process took less than five minutes and there was no, like I said, there was no craziness. There was no drama. I mean, it would have been easy for me You know, and I've seen people online do things like this. Like, I can't believe what happened. I was, you know, I was walking by and my infusion set got caught on something and it tore out. They should design them better. Or, you know, can you believe after six days of, you know, this, my Dexcom transmitter just fell off? I'm like, no, I can't believe it. You were in the ocean for six days and the adhesive came off, huh? What a crazy thing. I mean, I think it's just another example of expecting for these things to happen and not thinking of them as, as something going wrong. It's just something going the way you should expect it to go. Arden had been playing softball, running around, sweating and swimming for two days. And I just don't think it's odd that her Omnipod just kind of fell off, you know, a few hours shy of when it was going to expire anyway. So that was it. And I'll tell you, I was really super proud of Arden because there was no panic on her face. She wasn't worried at all. And, um, You know, anyway, that was that was really worth mentioning a couple of other things that happened during softball that uh, new things I learned, which is Arden can eat a banana in her sleep. And we found that out because she had a couple of lows, you know, each night after playing three games of softball around 11 or 12 o'clock, her blood sugar got low. And it was one of those kind of like stubborn lows where you would drink a juice box and it just wouldn't move. And you knew that you were going to need some food and something more, a little substantial in your stomach to help keep the blood sugar up for a while. And, um, you know, fresh off the heels of me realizing that Arden was able to eat cereal in her sleep a couple weeks ago. It's something I wrote about on the blog. um, I was like, I bet you she could do a banana. Banana is easier than cereal. So instead of like, you know, the way I get her to drink juice overnight is just I kind of have the straw ready and I put it a little near her mouth. And I'm like, Arden, you know, your blood sugar is low. I need you to drink some juice. And her lips just sort of open and, you know, she reaches for the straw and drinks it. So this time I said, hey, Arden, your blood sugar is a little low. I need you to eat a banana. And I thought maybe she'd like sit straight up and be like, what the the heck are you talking about? But just opened her mouth and I just kind of moved the banana towards her mouth. And she ate a half of a banana like it was nothing. And I waited to make sure that, you know, she chewed it all up and she was cleared out, and you know not, there was nothing left in her mouth. And I went back to bed. So, um, so yeah, we learned that Arden can eat a banana in her sleep. I mean, other than that, the girls won the tournament. We were there until, gosh, nine or ten o'clock on Sunday night. It was a really, really late night, and Arden was plenty exhausted. She grabbed some food for the ride home, and passed out in the car. It really wasn't, it wasn't too bad, you know. And, and like I said before, Dexcom huge part of why it wasn't too bad. You know, there was there was a moment and there's a picture of it on Arden's day if you want to go see it. It's uh in a blog post called uh Be Badass. But there's a moment early on in maybe the first game of the first day and I've got Arden's blood sugar, you know, where I wanted to start the game. She's like 110. I'm like, "Okay, let's see what we can do keeping this around here." I wasn't sure if the adrenaline of the the tournament was going to hit her and her blood sugar was going to fly up or if she was going to get lower. So I was, I started around 110 and by the time Arden comes up to bat the first time, and it was like somebody, you know, set it up for a movie. She gets into the batter's box and my phone beeps three beeps. And I'm like, Oh, she's low. And I go and I I open up the app and she's 81. Her, Her CGM says she's 81 straight down. So blood sugar's 81 and falling at about two points per minute. Now, you know, she's obviously going to be okay to get through the at bat. So I, but I, but I definitely thought this was going to be a a juice situation. So I opened up a juice box and put the straw in and I wandered up the side of the field and I leaned on the fence by the first base coach by Chris, her, her manager. And I said, Chris, um, And just to see, just to show you, I didn't say if, so no baseball superstition here. But I said, when she gets to first base, I need you to take a timeout. She's got to drink this juice. And he looked at me and was like, yeah, all right. So she got to first base, and he told the ump, I need time for a second. They got to keep in mind, there's, it's a tournament, so there's a lot of families there. There's a lot of people, you know, there's probably 50 people watching the game. Um, you know, you know what I'm, that's a low number. It's probably more, but there's a bunch of people on our side and, you know, I'm sure most of them understand Arden has diabetes, but not everybody. And even if they do, you know, and then there's the, all the people on the other side who have no idea who we are. So I walk out from behind the fence. Arden kind of turns like, why is somebody taking a time out? And I said to, uh, I said to her, Hey, your blood sugar's falling. I just need you to drink this juice real quickly. Again, you got to see the picture because she just looks like she's just such a badass. Like there's all these people looking and she just couldn't possibly care less. She takes the juice box from me. She puts the straw through her cage on her helmet and she starts drinking it. And when she realizes she can't get it in fast enough, she just does this really, and it's such a simple, small thing, but it's why I ended up saying badass when I wrote about it. She grabs the juice box and starts squeezing it to get the juice to come out faster than she can, you know, draw it out with her with her mouth and just pumps it into her mouth like this and then takes this one last little sip to clear it out and she hands it back to me, turns around, and she's ready to play again. It's like, that was really cool. It was cool because she didn't care if anybody saw her. She didn't care what people might have thought. She wasn't thinking about any of that. She was thinking about playing softball. And, you know... I think again that goes back to that idea of like, I mean, could I consider Arden's blood sugar falling in the middle of an at bat a problem or something going wrong? I guess I could, but you know, I'm prepared for it, and she's prepared that it might happen. Everybody understands what what you know what the situation is and what could and couldn't happen. And so, don't panic, don't be dramatic, drink the juice, and keep going. Anyway, I thought that was really great, and I really did want to want to share that. Okay, so here's the last thing I want to talk about today. Um, you know, but before I do, let me just remind you of this. If you are enjoying the Juicebox podcast, and I sincerely hope that you are, please go to iTunes and leave a review or a rating or a rating and a review. That would be great. And subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast and reviewing the podcast really, really helps the show. I'm also really excited to tell you that the podcast is getting outside of my sphere of influence. So, you know, I mean, there's a number of people that read my blog and and those people, I'm hoping, are learning about the podcast. But, you know, there's also – I'm also starting to hear from listeners who have no idea that I write a blog. And that's exciting too. So that means that the the podcast is spreading. And it's finding people on its own. Uh, that is partially due to the reviews and the ratings, but it's partially due to maybe people sharing or just it being available when, when, when folks are, are searching in iTunes. One way or the other, it's super exciting. I've been getting emails from people who who are telling me, I did not realize you had a blog, but I'm really enjoying this from parents of kids who have type one diabetes and a number of people who are adults with type one. And I got a really touching letter uh, from a woman recently, who's just trying to find the diabetes community online, and she found the podcast and is really enjoying it. So I really appreciate that. I love hearing from you guys. I love getting those emails and the reviews. Um, Thank you so much. Kind of a short show today, but I do want to talk about one more kind of big idea and a couple small ideas underneath of it. Facebook. There are a lot of private Facebook groups, and you should definitely check them out if you want to. If you're a person who uses a Dexcom CGM, there's a Dexcom Facebook group. That you have to, you know, ask to get, you know, entry into, and it's a private group, so you can go in there and talk about diabetes, and no one's going to see except for, you know, other people who are in that group. So your friends that see your wall normally won't see your conversations about that. There's an Omnipod group. There's a Parents of Children with Type One group. There's CGM in the Cloud. There's a ton of Facebook groups with a lot of fantastic people inside of them helping each other out. And I do my best to go through them when I can. And blend my support and, and, you know, share in theirs as I think it can help people with their questions. But not all the time. You know, I, I can't, obviously, I can't police Facebook constantly and be like, oh, I know that one. I know this one. Or I wrote about that. And so sometimes I, you know, sometimes I do. But there are some things that pop up way more than others. And, and here's one thing that I see talked about. It must be daily. And that's the idea of a rash under adhesive. So if it's your CGM adhesive or your infusion set adhesive or under your Omnipod, I've seen this question so many times now that I've I've, I kind of do the internet wrong thing and I just leave a link behind to a pod, you know, to a I almost said podcast, to a to a blog post that I wrote. So if you're experiencing rashes underneath of adhesive. You're going to get a ton of great, you know. There's a ton of great advice online. There's barrier wipes that you can use before you put the adhesive on. You know, there's different tapes and I mean, all kinds of stuff. But I can't speak to any of them because I don't use them. But that's not to say that we didn't have that fight with the rash. So Arden, after years of being on the Omnipod, just one day started getting these rashes underneath. Um, to the point where I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to have to stop using this, and that was devastating to me. And, I, and I, I wrote about it in a in a pod, in a pile. I said it again. I wrote about it in a blog post uh, that you can find by going to com and searching Omnipod Rash, or I'll leave a link in the show notes at JuiceboxPodcast.com. But I was sitting around thinking this one day, like, why is this happening? Like, trying to brainstorm why these rashes were coming. And as I was standing there in deep in thought... I found myself rubbing my fingers together, the tips of my fingers. And I was rubbing them together pretty unconsciously because they were so dry. And I stopped, my, stopped thinking about the Omnipod for a second. And I was like, why are my fingers so dry? And it only took me a second to realize they're dry and they're cracking and they hurt because I'm constantly touching alcohol. I'm constantly cleaning infusion sites and, you know, and, and I always, always have my fingers on alcohol swabs. And then it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, I wonder if that's affecting Arden because I wiped down where her, where her Omnipod goes on. I wiped that down with, with alcohol first. That's what they told me to do. So one day I just kind of got the nerve up to try not doing it. And I cleaned the site with just warm water or warm water and soap, you know, like a real mild, like soap. But I honestly just use warm water. And, um, and that was it. Arden's never had a, a rash under adhesive since then. It's the same way I prep her CGM locations, um, is as the, uh, that was not English, but we prepped the CGA and the, the, ready? Let's try this a third time. I prepped the CGM locations and the Omnipod locations the same way with warm water and a clean, a clean towel. And then we let it air dry and we put them on. It, it was my feeling that maybe the alcohol was drying out her skin so much that it was making her susceptible to, to rashes and other problems. And like I said, not a doctor, don't know what I'm talking about. Definitely shouldn't listen to me, but we had rashes and then we stopped using alcohol and then we didn't have them any longer. And at some point after I wrote that, and this is a long time ago now, a couple of years, so I don't remember the exact, you know, moments of this conversation, but I, I I received a note or a blog comment or something from a person uh, in Europe who told me that their doctors in Europe direct them not to use alcohol to prep for insulin pumps and CGMs. So while, you know, here in America, we're told to use alcohol in Europe, they're told not to. And I thought, you know what? Cool. So anyway, that's something you should ask your doctor about. If you're having trouble with rashes, talk to them about finding alternative ways to prep the sites that don't include alcohol that dry out your skin. And check out the blog post uh, in the show notes. Here's the last thing, and I always want to write about this on the blog, but it's one of those things that I get scared that in writing is going to come off wrong, and and there's just no good way to write it in, in you know briefly in a couple of hundred words. So this is going to be the last thing I talk about in the podcast today. Um It's the idea of children resisting things and parents who then go, well, they didn't want to do it. And that's the end of it. So I guess I'm going to start by saying that I'm a child of the 70s. I was born in 1971. We grew up in the northeast of the country around Philadelphia. So it's not a stretch to say that I grew up in a blue collar environment where people did not did not take crap from other people. And I'm sure everybody thinks that's how they grew up, and and I'm sure to some degree everyone did. I'm sure there's no one listening to this right now who's like, oh no, Scott, I come from a long line of people who take shit from people all the time, put their heads down and walk away. But outside of Philly, in the Northeast, it's not just, you know, you don't take crap, but if someone gives it to you, you attack back. You know, it's not just like, oh, shut up, it's it's different. And so I grew up that way. I grew up with parents who, who grew up like that. And then those people grew up in the, you know, in the forties and the fifties, my parents, and, and they're not, you know, they certainly didn't grow up in a, in a world where children were listened to by their, by their parents at all. Um, and my parents kind of followed suit with that. So I guess I'm not saying that we should go back to the way that was the good old days. I I don't think that. But I think there's we've lost a balance somehow in this last generation we've gone from my dad you know if look if if I went to the doctor when I was sick as a child and the doctor said hey here's some medication your kid needs to swallow this a spoonful this three times a day for a week and he's going to be better that's what my dad mom would do give it to me a spoonful of it three times a week until I was better now if I said that it didn't taste good I have a hard time imagining that my dad would have been like, oh, well, no problem. If it doesn't taste good, we'll figure out something else. My father would have been like, shut up, open your mouth, take the medicine. And he probably would have said, shut up again. So, (laughs) you know, so, you know, it it just is one of those ideas. Like if I try to imagine if I had diabetes and I said to my dad, like, I don't want to wear a Dexcom CGM or, you know, I don't, I, I I don't enjoy wearing an insulin pump or whatever it is that, you know, needs to be. Um, I have a hard time imagining my dad would care or that he would listen to me. And I think that that's the balance I'm talking about. You know, I have enough of that in me that when I'm parenting Arden, I don't think first, oh, that's not something she wants. I think about the the medical necessity of it. If you're reading my blog or you listen to this podcast, you know that a Dexcom CGM, as an example, is something that brought Arden's A1C from the sevens, the mid sevens to the high fives. It's a big part of how we got to that. And that is going to affect her long-term health and her life far greater than her being uncomfortable and not enjoying wearing it. Because you know, I, I hear people say, like, this is a Facebook thing to me. Like, I see people say all the time, oh, we tried a CGM, but my kid didn't like it. And I'm like, and I, ha- here's my honest, here's my honest thought in my head when I see that. So, so what? Anyway, what, do, why do I care if you're, why would you care if your kid liked it? Of course they didn't like it. No one's going to like that. Everyone right now who's listening who thinks they'd like to have, a sensor adhesive to their skin with a wire going underneath of their skin. Raise your hand wherever you are publicly, unless you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. But but who who wants that? No one wants that. But that's the situation, right? Three a spoonful three times a day. That was my situation. A sensor that goes on my hip or my arm or my leg or wherever it ends up going that allows my child not to have... A seizure or hypoglycemia, you you know, or to just to be able to experience a more normal day, a more balanced blood sugar, that's going to lead to much, much better long-term health results. I have a hard time reconciling in the list of things I care about when I'm talking about that what my kid wants, and I think the issue is that nowadays, and here I'm going to sound old for a second, but nowadays you actually think about that parents actually say well they didn't like it or my daughter told me it's her body it's her body I, I, <laughs> listen i don't mean to laugh but you know you've got the flu take this medicine oh no it's my body it's not your body it, it's your body okay fine but i'm in charge of i'm in charge of taking care of it and keeping it healthy until you're 18 right like it's my job and so yes it's your body but you're also 10 or 5 or four. And no offense, but if your five-year-old was smart enough to make medical decisions for themselves, well, you could probably give them a credit card, get them an apartment, you'd be on your way. You could just go to the beach because you don't need to be a parent anymore. Your five-year-old's got it all figured out. Your six-year-old knows that they don't want to wear a CGM. Your nine-year-old doesn't like the insulin pump. And and I got to say, this is where the 1970s in me and maybe a little bit of the Northeast says, I don't care what you think. I genuinely don't care what you think. You're going to use this thing because it's going to make you a healthier person and 9,000 other reasons. And I'm in charge and that's it. And I'm not a guy who runs around. Listen, if you read my book, you know, I'm not a guy who runs around yelling because I said so I'm not that kind of person. But in these specific situations, it's because I said so. And if you want to be mad at somebody, don't be mad at diabetes. Don't be mad at the doctor. Don't be mad at yourself. You'd be mad at me. I'm making you do it. That's where I think as a parent, you need to be the firewall. You need to say, look, focus whatever unpleasantness you have about the situation, you focus it on me. And this is where you need to be an adult, in my opinion. And, and, and this is what parenting is. You know, you, you look at your kid and you say, if you're mad about this, you'd be mad at me. I'm the one I'm the one saying yes. And there's Damn good reasons why I'm saying yes, and here they are. I don't mind explaining them to you, but I don't anticipate that I'm going to be able to talk you into it because the, the fact of the matter is, is that eventually through time this will become a normal part of everyone's life. They won't feel like that anymore, and they're not going to hate you forever. You're their parent. They love you. But you could give them a situation where, let me get a drink here. If you turn it back on diabetes, well, they could... F- they could end up being mad at diabetes for the rest of their lives. So nothing good comes from my daughter feeling upset at diabetes. She's already upset at it enough. I don't need to give her other reasons. But if, you know, if it's one of those moments where she's like, I hate this, I hate the, you know, I hate having to put an insulin pump on, I hate having to put a CGM on, I say, I know, I understand, but you know, it's something I want you to do. It's something I believe is gonna be better for you. I put it back on myself. And then you, know, you gotta have broad shoulders to, um, to be a parent, you probably have to be slightly broader in your shoulders to be the parent of a child with type one. But, but that really is my thought about that. And I, and I don't know if you're going to agree with me or disagree with me. And, and I hope you, you know, God bless you, do whatever you want. And I, I'm certainly not telling you what to do. But in my life, in my children's lives, there's a time where what they want and what they think is right takes a backseat to what I want and what I think is right and what my wife thinks is right. So I think the next time your kid gives you that, like, well, it's not something I want to do, you know, look, it's not something any of us want to do. If you think I'm over here excited to, to stick this thing on your hip and shove this wire under your skin, you're out of your mind. But this is our best bet right now. Like in the world we live in, in the situation that is ours, this is your best option. And we're going to go with your best option to keep you healthy, to give you a nice long life, you know, and and that ends up being it. I'd rather you live a long and healthy and, you know, life full of, you know, happiness and joy, where every once in a while your insulin pump falls off because you were swimming and playing softball, than not, you know, or whatever it is, whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be an insulin pump or, but you know what I mean? Like that, That idea of, you know, we're letting kids make medical decisions for them because that's what they want. Or, and I do want to say this, and I'm certainly not coming down on anybody because I completely understand it, and I absolutely have been in this position before. Sometimes it's too heartbreaking, right? Like sometimes you just, they're looking at you and they're crying and you think, I just, I can't do it. And I get that. And I have felt like that in the past too. So here's my best advice for that. And this is, again, something I read about on Facebook just very recently. Um, A person wanted to, well, was told by the doctor to move an infusion site to a a new place. They had been overusing a place. And this happens with kids a lot. happens with people a lot. You use one site and it gets a little, you know, it gets a little deadened because you use it so much. So you probably don't feel it quite as much as you go in, as it goes in. But, I mean, in the real honesty of it. It's just, it's a mental thing. Like you think it's okay on your thigh. We're on your belly. And then when I have to move it to somewhere else, like, no, 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 it's not where it goes. Like that that feeling. I know Arden has said that before. That's not where it goes. I'm like, it doesn't go anywhere. It goes everywhere. It that, you know, your insulin pump goes wherever we can put it, wherever it's going to work right. There's no rhyme or reason. And there's certainly not any rules, except of course, I'm sure the insulin pump company says there's certain places you should wear it. But what I'm saying is is if it's abdomen, thigh, arm, and these are okay places and your doctor says these are good places for you to use. Sometimes if you use one place too much, they start getting that feeling like this is where it belongs. And that's bull. It doesn't belong anywhere. And so then what happens, and I think this is this is totally true of, of a lot of stuff involved with diabetes, whether it's an injection or putting in an infusion set or, or inserting a Dexcom CGM or whatever it ends up being, even just you know giving a shot, it's not nearly as bad – when it happens as it is before it happens. There's a lot of anxiety and anticipation, right? And you know the stuff's all spread out on the counter, they know it's gonna happen, they start getting uptight, they start getting upset, you see them get upset, you start getting upset, now you're upset, they're upset, you're feeding each other, and by the time you reach up with this device to stick it on, everything's in a frenzy. It's the biggest dramatic panic that you've ever seen in your life. And tears start flying. And then there's conversations about, I hate diabetes. And it just, all this stuff happens. It's completely normal. Happens in everybody's life. The way I got around it is to be fast. Quick, quick, quick. So do as much of the prep work as you can off to the side without your child around. So they don't see the five minutes of prep work that goes into it. So say it's an omnipod and you've, you know, or an infusion set or something. You've got it all set up, it's ready to go. And you don't even say, you know, you don't don't even give them a heads up. Just when it happens, hey, come here a second. Boom. Hey, I gotta change your insulin pump real quick. And there goes the timer on the anxiety. It starts right there. But better that it starts right there than starts five minutes sooner and has this time to build. So what I do is Hey, we're going to do this now. Arden's not as bad. Actually, she's not bad at all anymore with the anxiety. But back when she was, she was. So, you know, here it is. Boom. Shirt up, wipe off, dry, stick on, click, click, click. You know, the amount of times I push start on on a, on a PDM for the Omnipod while Arden was going, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. And I'm just like, no, I'm pushing the button. Click. And as soon as you push the button, you can feel the anxiety lever. And then there's just a split second more when she waits for the insertion, click, there's that little like, oh my god, I think the whole world's going to know the world did not end, everything's fine, and it's over. Tears go away, the anxiety's gone, the yelling's gone, all the craziness is gone. The mistake that I see people making more often than not is not being fast, not just getting through it. They give in to the that feeling like, well, this isn't what they want, or it's going to hurt them, or I don't want to be the bad guy, or whatever it is that plays on your emotions in that minute. Well, you have to stonewall yourself right then and there. It's another, it's another parenting moment where you really gotta buck up and just look over your shoulder and say, there is no other adult in this room but me and and I'm gonna be the one that takes care of this. And and that's it. It's simple advice. You might not agree with it again. And by the way, it's not really advice because as you heard in the beginning of the show, nothing on the Juicebox podcast is advice. What I should have said was, it's a simple story of how I handled a situation that may be happening to you. (laughs) Anyway, fast. Get it done fast. Keep it blind. Get it done. And you'll see after weeks and months, it'll go away. You know, the anxiety lessons and lessons, but you can't talk your way out of it. You're not going to explain to the kids that it's not bad or it doesn't hurt just doesn't work that way. All right, but that was it. I chitter-chattered for a while about diabetes. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, couple of guests coming up in the near future. If you bear with me for one second and I bring up the calendar, I will tell you that I am going to be talking to a mom from Canada about her child's type 1 diabetes who also has celiac, and Karen from... Ooh. Karen from Diabetes Blog Week. That'll be the first week of May, just in time for Diabetes Blog Week. You don't want to miss that. There's, uh, I give Diabetes Blog Week a lot of credit for my blog still existing, and I can't wait to talk to Karen and thank her in person and have her tell us about the topics that are coming up this year. The definite diabetes um, community cornerstone, in my opinion, Diabetes Blog Week is excellent. So, looks like I got this one out about a day late, but like I said, I was going all weekend at the softball thing. Next week's going to be another one where we just talk and then there'll be a couple of interviews. If you are interested in being a guest on the Juicebox podcast, please drop me a line, go to juiceboxpodcast.com or ardensday.com. scroll to the bottom to contact and uh, throw me an email and let me know you'd be interested in being on. You just need Skype and Skype, you know, a headset and a microphone with on it and, and we're talking. Um, I definitely know they're popular because a couple episodes back, Teddy's mum is so far the most popular episode of the Juicebox podcast, and that's really saying something because the interview with John Costick was was hugely popular, and there was another one texting diabetes was until until Teddy's mum it was the uh, it was the absolute most popular. Uh, till next week, the juice box podcast is me, Scott Benner, talking about my life as the parent of a child with type one diabetes. I am on social media at Arden's day or at Juicebox Podcast, pretty much anything at social media. Arden's Day is me. Juicebox Podcast is me. The blog is juiceboxpodcast.com, where you can see or hear all the episodes. You can listen to them through iTunes, Stitcher, or Inline on the blog. There's players right in the blog posts about each podcast. And if you follow me on Facebook, Juicebox Podcast on Facebook, or Arden's Day on pa- face, I'm Facebook, or Arden's Day on Facebook, I post the episodes right there where they can actually, uh, they, they play right in Facebook. You don't even have to leave Facebook to listen to them. But my favorite way is to download them onto your phone and, and listen while you're, uh, you know, doing the laundry, the dishes or grocery shopping, something like that. Music for the juice box podcast is written and performed by Sydney Muller, And Sydney is a super cool little kid who wrote the music for the podcast. You should definitely, uh, should definitely be impressed because, uh, she's an impressive little kid. All right. That's what I got. This has been the juice box podcast. I don't know what I'm going to call it. You'll see when it hits iTunes. Well, now I'm talking about the future in the past. So whatever. Bye-bye.